Hi, folks. Welcome back to another episode. This week, we're talking about another section of the primary application that focuses on your grades, transcripts, and standardized test scores. On the face of it, it seems pretty straightforward, pretty simple, but there's some nuance here, so we're going to go ahead and break it down this week on the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast, the show to help all pre-health students on their journey to acceptance. I'm this episode's host, John Moses Bronson, and we're back for another episode in our application series. This is a really important series for us because this is something that all of our students are working towards. Whether you are a first-year student who is just getting started, whether you are an alumni who has been working towards this for many, many years. This is a journey that all of you are going to have to go on on your pathway to becoming great future healthcare professionals. So we're excited to have you back for another episode and break down this particular topic. So what I usually explain to students is that your metrics open the doors to let people view what's inside the house. Right. If you don't have if you're not presenting yourself well with these like really clear, identifiable metrics, it does make the rest of your application quite difficult. And unfortunately, there are many schools that do eliminate people because of their metrics. And that's something that you have to recognize, realize the impact of this section is really, really important because it does change which schools will look at you in what ways. So we have this understanding, but we know that there's lots of schools that do holistic review. So they're going to go deep into certain sections of your grades and your standardized test scores. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go through this section. But just know that is there is some power. There is some leverage here. There's some ways that we can help you tell your story. But at the end of the day, Schools are going to have to either look deep into this or they're just not. And we can help you figure out how how to make sure or encourage that that deeper look happens. So at the basis of all of this is your transcript. And you will definitely have to send your primary undergraduate institution's transcript. That's something universal for everybody. Now, there are certain folks who maybe did dual enrollment classes in high school. Maybe they took some uh, community college credits. It's extremely common with a lot of our um, physician assistant students that maybe weren't in a traditional science major, so didn't have the prereqs built into their programs. It's a lot more common for those folks to have multiple transcripts. Nothing wrong with that. Now, what we do want to make sure is that you understand that you have to send individual transcripts for all of those institutions. Yes, all of that credit's going to show up on your Penn State transcript, but the grades, the quality grades that you earn from those other institutions are calculated into the Common Application Services evaluation of your undergraduate cumulative GPA and your science GPAs. Right, so those transcripts are part of it. <coughs> so... You know, what you see in your Penn State transcript for your um, 
GPAs, that's not necessarily what's going to be looked at on the other end from these admissions officers. So you've got to send all of these in. If you do a post-bac program, you will need to send that as well. That's you know pretty self-explanatory. We are going to do a separate episode in the future that walks you through how to request transcripts at Penn State. Now, again, we know we have listeners from other institutions. We have listeners from around the world. But we're going to focus on the process at Penn State. There's a lot of parallels and similarities depending on where you went to school. But that episode is going to be a bit more nuts and bolts specifically for our Penn State students. So what happens with the transcript, right? You get it sent in. That's the pretty that's realistically the more easy part of this process. You also do a manual grade entry for many of the common application services. Some application services only require you to do, enter in your prereqs. So this is going to depend on which health profession you're looking at, which common application service you're using, and what mechanisms exist in that specific application service. So make sure you familiarize yourself with your particular expectations. Now, if we're talking about sort of the larger major ones, right, we're talking more medical, dental, PA, uh, optometry, podiatry, you do have to enter in each grade for each course individually. It's a pretty time-consuming process, and it can be a bit confusing. Now, all of the different application services will have guides on how you're supposed to do certain things, right? So if you earned AP credit, there is in certain application services, you'll enter that in as AP. There's, you know, an identifier for that. For others, it's, you know, a test score. It's a little bit more vague. Some places, it's it's a lot more straightforward what you do. As long as you do your best and you're not trying to misrepresent the information, generally, these application services are going to be pretty forgiving. You know, all of your applications are going to go through a verification process. Someone's going to double check these things. And if something seems off, they're going to reach out to you. So you have an opportunity to do that. Now, having said that, you don't want to do this section willy-nilly. You do want to take it seriously. Thankfully, for a lot of, like I said, a lot of these application services have lots of really good, helpful instructions. So make sure you know where those instructions live, and then you have access to them as you are completing the application. Now, if you're at Penn State and you're using the Penn State Pre-Health Portfolio, you have a lot more information available to you, right? We've pulled the course classification guides together. We've given you some help. We give you a simulation of this section of the application so you can work it through ahead of time. That way, when you actually get to the process of the primary application, you've seen things, you know how courses are going to be classified. You have a really good sense of what that cumulative GPA is going to look like, what your science GPA is going to look like, And again, depending on your application service, there might be other GPAs that are calculated, and that's all going to be in there as well. So really helpful service that we have at Penn State. So if you are, you know, a Penn State student with a current or alum, please utilize it. It's super, super helpful. Some application services do have GPA calculators or simulations that you can uh, run. Not all of them do. So if you need help figuring that out, please reach out to pre-health advising at your institution. And again, we've mentioned this in past episodes, but if you are at an institution that doesn't have pre-health advising or you're an alum and your institution doesn't serve alum, you can reach out to the AAMC or your national service, depending on what you're going towards, and many of them have a find an advisor service. All right. So for the most part, 
you're just going to be entering in your courses. And it's pretty simple, right? The important thing here is it's a good idea to get a copy of your official transcript and to not use an unofficial transcript. Sometimes unofficial transcripts use um, abbreviations or simplifications of course titles, and you want your manual entry to match your official transcript. So it's generally a good idea to have a copy of your official transcript sent to yourself ahead of time so that you can work on this and have it all match. It makes verification go a lot easier. It's a lot simpler. It will save you a lot of time in the application process to do it that way. Okay. Um, now, if you graduated in a different amount of time than the standard four years, there's usually some general guidance on how you label and list all of those things for the, each of the application services, but some general rules of thumb. Most of the time, AP credits, dual enrollment, you're going to list those as freshman courses if they label it as freshman in the application service. If you take longer to complete, you're just going to have more senior year categorizations and semesters that are attributed to the senior year. There's nothing wrong with that. Schools understand that like the sort of like rigid nature of the application doesn't reflect the reality of every student. So it's nothing to stress over. Uh, so that's helpful um, for students whose sort of timeline doesn't match with the norm. There's also, in many common application services, they'll allow for you to enter in-progress or planned terms. So for those students who are looking to try and matriculate directly out of undergrad, this is a really important thing for you because it gives schools a sense of what's coming next for you academically, right? It's wonderful if you've done very well in your first three years, but you didn't have a particularly rigorous academic load. But in your senior year, you've sort of like stacked all of these really hard, difficult courses. <laughs> a school might look a little bit closer at you than at that situation, right? For some schools and some common application services, depending on which health profession you're looking at, uh, you might be looking at um, taking some prereqs during that upcoming year while you're applying. And that helps the schools to see, okay, so they have a plan for this. This is when they'll have it completed. Otherwise, they're a wonderful application, an applicant. Let's go ahead and bring them in for an interview, see if we like them. If we want to offer, give them an offer before they've completed that course, they might just give you what's called a conditional offer, which basically means, hey, we would love to have you, but your acceptance into our program is conditional on you successfully completing that prereq, right? So that's why that section is so helpful, especially if you are completing courses that might be on an institution's recommended list as opposed to their required list. It does really help how admissions views you as a candidate, right? If you're going beyond just the basics and the minimums, really helps a lot of schools really want to take a closer look at you and see that you are a serious science student who is capable of taking on these upper level courses that are more challenging and that you just don't do basics, right? So if that's who you are and that's how you want to present yourself, it's a great way to do that. Now, when you're entering in courses, pretty much every common application service is going to ask you to classify the courses that you've taken. This is one of the biggest ways in which the different application services vary from one another in how the different health professions and their common services categorize different courses. 
for the most part, school these application services are going to ask you to classify your science courses versus your non-science courses. And that looks really different from application service to application service. We have many applicants in the health professions who are from the College of Health and Human Development, specifically in the biobehavioral health major. And many application services, BBH classes are not considered part of your science uh, GPA. However, there are some that do categorize it. There are some application services that categorize math as part of your science GPA. And then there is also some services that don't categorize math as part of your science GPA. So it's something to pay attention to. And it's not something clean and easy to look at on paper. A lot of times students will reach out to our office and ask what their science GPA is. And it's for them to get a sense of how these schools might be evaluating them. And the long and short of it is, is that we don't know how their science GPA is going to get calculated until we start entering it in according to these classification guides. There's no easy way to do this. And it's why we built this these GPA calculators for the different health professions so that students can get a sense of how these schools are categorizing their science GPAs and what that actually looks like, right? In most health professions, you know, you get two GPAs, you get a cumulative and then you have a science GPA, but there are some health professions application services that calculate way more GPAs. There is some, some of them will uh, calculate what's called an AO GPA, which is an all other, and that's separate from the science GPA. It's basically a non-science GPA. There are some that will calculate GPAs based on prereqs. So it's, it's going to vary pretty wildly between the different services and it's something to know about and if you're not sure you're confused again that's a really great thing to have a conversation with a pre-health advisor on you know we're we're really happy to help you sort of break down that nuance so we've talked about course classification the importance of that an important thing to note here as you're looking at how things are calculated is that there's also some things that happen when you put your transcript into these common application services, for example. At Penn State, we have a couple uh, academic policies that are really helpful for a large number of students. You know, our grade uh, forgiveness policy, you know, we're rolling out a pass-fail policy within the next year, um, and these are going to change how certain things are calculated on the Penn State GPA side, but things will look different when you go into sort of the more common application services. For example, if you do grade forgiveness, that will impact how Penn State calculates your cumulative GPA. It will not impact how the common application services calculate your GPA. The grade remains on your final transcript. It's just not used in the calculation of the GPA that appears on the Penn State transcript. Another important notice, not necessarily notice, but a detail to manage as you're deciding your academics at Penn State is that a lot of schools individually won't accept pass-fail grades to calc- to serve in place of quality grades for prerequisite courses. Now, there was a lot of leniency provided during the pandemic, uh, especially the early sort of like year to year and a half of the pandemic because there were a lot of schools, Penn State was not among them, we had a different system, but there were a lot of schools where they just sort of 
across the board did pass fail. And so some schools were very, very respondent to what that meant for what the realities of that were for their applicants is that they're not all going to look the same and we shouldn't penalize them for decisions that they didn't make, right? So a lot of schools will put in their prereq um, expectations on their websites that they will allow pass-fail courses uh, or grades during a specific time period, right? But that's not forever. So understand like sort of what the limitations are there and make really informed choices. Again, if you're a current Penn State student and you're confused about your decisions and what the realities and, and repercussions of those things are, please schedule with pre-health advising. We would love to help you understand and sort of break this down a bit further. We get lots of questions about late drops, right? Because that's sort of part of this grade entry process as well. And a lot of students are terrified to have a single late drop on their transcript. A single late drop is not going to kill your application or the seriousness with which a school is going to take your application. It's when we sort of move beyond two that we really get concerned. I would say two is even like, it's not a red flag, certainly in an application, but it's certainly a yellow flag, right? Is there something that was consistent between these two classes that were both late dropped? You know, it's a really bad sign to have the same course late drop twice. That's a little bit more um, red flaggy than two very different courses and two very different delivery methods. Um, there are some schools that have secondary essays where they allow you to respond to why you late dropped courses or why your academic background doesn't look like, you know, what would be considered the norm. So if you have some of those sort of weirdnesses in your background, you know, it's it's not an automatic disqualifier, but it does make it more difficult for you in this part of your, the review of your application. So the rest of your story has to be really solid and you have to have good rationale for the decisions that you've made. Again, this is a really individual conversation. There's a lot of nuance here, more than we can ever break apart in, you know, one of these podcast episodes because it's such an individual thing. So if you are struggling with some of these things, again, that's a really good time to come in and talk to a pre-health advisor. Now, at Penn State, we use the term late drop and withdrawal very differently. At other institutions, they use the term synonymously. At Penn State, you late drop individual courses, you withdraw from an entire term, right? So that's sort of how the definition differs here at Penn State. Um, a withdraw is looked at very differently than a late drop, right? If you withdraw from an entire semester, that is treated very differently from an admissions perspective than, you know, a single late drop or, you know, two late drops in the same semester. When admissions sees a withdrawn semester on a transcript, they are looking for the story or the sort of journey of the student, the distance that they travel during that time period. So if you have to withdraw from a semester, please make that choice if it's what's best for you personally, uh, because... That is a lot easier to sort of manage, explain in an application than late dropping all but one or two classes. If there is something that has impacted you to that degree in a single semester, 
a withdraw is often a very smart choice. Now, that's not a realistic choice for every student, especially like our, our military students who have to maintain a certain number of credits to maintain benefits. It's really complicated, and we get it. Talk to us before you know certain decisions are made, especially if you're you're not like a, a quote unquote traditional student. Even though what the heck does that mean anymore? But we want to make sure that you're understanding how this will play sort of in the process of you applying. And it's not easy, right? So, you know, I've already talked about verification. This is a really big part of it, right? This is where sort of a lot of the difficulty in this section resides because it is so – there's a lot of data entry. There's a lot of interpretation. A lot of things on their surface don't cleanly fit into the categories that have been provided. So, you know, an example of this is a lot of times, you know, our students who are nutrition majors in particular. At Penn State, that major resides in the College of Health and Human Development. But when you look at the curriculum, it's really a STEM major. And so while the courses on its surface may look like a health science class and won't be considered part of the science GPA traditionally, if we look at the prereqs and we look at the nature of the class, it really is a, a science class. And it should be categorized that way, right? BBH 440 is another example. It's epidemiology. At most institutions that aren't as huge as Penn State, a class like that would be a biology class, right? It would be taught in the College of Science. It would be categorized under the science GPA. And it's the same with a lot of these uh, nutrition classes. So Penn State's just so big, and we have so many departments that are able to sort of support these classes that they don't fit within the standard constructions that we tend to see at other smaller institutions. So there is some nuance here. It's not as clean as just looking at the course classifications. You know, sometimes we have to look at the spirit of the course classifications and make decisions based on what we feel is right, you know. Now, having said that, you don't want to get too willy-nilly with your science versus non-science classifications. Many a student have gotten very much in trouble by doing this. So I'm going to really strongly encourage you to just stick to the things that are really demonstrably true, right? If you're taking, you know, the biochem nutrition class, I mean, all of those prereqs are, are you know, cell biology and, um, you know, there's there's some chemistry requirements requirements, right? You have to take O-chemistry, O-chem first. So it's, that's really super clear and really straightforward. If something is sort of like on the edge, you know, you can come and talk to us about it. Or I usually encourage students to err on the side of caution as they're categorizing things. Because what you don't want to do is come across as though you're trying to artificially inflate uh, your science GPA by pulling in courses that aren't truly science. And that's the problem that some students will run into. And if they feel that if, – if the Common Application Service believes that a student is trying to artificially inflate parts of their application, sometimes there's an investigation. Depending on the, the results of that in investigation, there might be a notation in your application. So that's not great. And we would like really prefer to avoid that. So that's why I really always encourage students to err on the side of caution, err on the side of conservatism with this particular element of the application. So 
The other aspect that's traditionally in this section are your t standardized test scores. Now, for many common application services like medical school or dental school, you can have your and should have your uh, common, uh, your standardized tests sent directly to the application service. So you don't have to individually send your MCAT or DAT score to, you know, 15 individual schools. You attach it to your primary application and then it distributes it to the schools. So it honestly, it makes it pretty easy. There's a lot of information when you register for the MCAT or the DAT or other standardized tests like that on how to get that to sort of sync up with your common application. You can also um, add planned tests. And this is really important because not everybody is ready to have their score completed prior to submitting their application. In our office, we traditionally call this applying blind because you are applying to programs before you have your standardized test score. And we know that that impacts often the schools that may or may not give you more or less serious consideration. So because of that, there is some strategy that we encourage students to employ. And basically what we will encourage students to do is, is one, don't take your standardized test before you're ready. Having said that, you really need to have it completed. Like the longer you wait to take that test, the longer it takes for your application to be considered complete. And the longer that gets pushed back, the harder it is for students to get interviews. Early applicants with completed applications are always going to be able to do best. Having said that, they're not the only applicants that do really well, right? But they have a much better shot, even with like substandard um, metrics, right? We looked, we've looked at data on submission date and verification date and acceptances and success rates in the application cycle. And what we find for our students at Penn State is that for students that apply within that first month to like five weeks of the application being open, have a much higher chance of acceptance, even with lower metrics overall. So that's why we push an early application. However, do not take your standardized test before you're ready. If you're not ready for the standardized test, it might mean that it's time for you to push your application back a year, which is like devastating for a lot of students to hear. And I, I completely get that, especially if you feel otherwise ready. But in pretty much every health profession, you have to pass like national board exams. And so many schools really value your ability to do well in the standardized tests because, you know, in medicine in particular, you're going to be taking exams for the rest of your career. It's, you are never going to be able to move away from taking tests. Now, it's going to become easier because you're going to be specializing in a particular discipline. There's less like, you know, there's less individual data points that you have to know. And that's also something that you're doing all the time, right? So regardless of all of that, it's still really important. And so if you're not ready for the test, it might be time to push your application back. Now, having said all that, if you are really confident in the standardized test that you're going to the score that you're going to receive and you want to have that early application, but you don't want to like apply too broadly if you don't know what your score is, 
One thing that you can do in most application services, at the vast majority you can do this, you can start that application by submitting it to a single institution, right? So instead of paying thousands of dollars to apply to 15 or 16 schools, and again, that's going to vary depending on your health profession uh, that you're applying to, how many is like the average or suggested number of schools to apply to, um, by doing it to one school only, you start your verification process. For a lot of the health professions, it's not like a huge deal, but especially in medical applications, like verification can take quite a long time. And some schools won't send you secondaries until your application is verified. It initiates a lot of processes on the admission side. And so it's important to have a nice early verification date because if your application is getting verified, right, let's say it's going to take a month and you apply June 5th, right? So we know that that application, and these are all estimates, right? Things are going to ebb and flow differently year over year. But if you're anticipating not having a verified application until July 5th, but you're going to get your scores, uh, your, your test scores on June 20th, you can still apply on the 5th. And if you apply to one school, your applications and verification, then on the 20th, when you get that score, if you're like, yes, I stored... Ex- scored exactly where I wanted to, add all those additional schools to your application, right? And then by the time that your application is verified, it's getting sent to all the schools that you wanted to. But let's say, you know, worst case scenario, we hit that June 20th date and your score is not where you thought it was going to be, right? Which is to say that, like, I would not apply with this score, you can stop the process at that point and you've only spent the money on a single institution, which is a lot less expensive. It's a lot easier of a pill to swallow than if you've spent two, three, four thousand dollars applying to a lot more schools and then you have to withdraw because you've already paid it. You paid it when you submit the primary. So it's expensive. We don't want to have you do that if you're not sure that you're going to go through with the the admission cycle or that you're not confident in your ability to be successful in that, that cycle. So that is sort of my advice to students that are sort of dealing with that, you know, issue of having a standardized test right on the line. Um, these are general rules. These are not universal rules. Some of you will feel a bit differently about when you're taking your test and the places that you're applying and it's very individual so again this is this is a general rule it's not a universal it's not a 100% type of thing but it's sort of the prevailing wisdom of the section so I know that that was a lot of information and I hope that all of you have gotten something out of it I'm going to give you all some homework and number one is to go to the application service or services that you're going to be applying to, look at the course classification guide, get some information on, you know, if you've taken AP, look at those. Look at how they're formatted. A lot of times these common application services will have a video of how to go through and enter in these entries. Go ahead and watch those. You know, if you've seen something work once, when you go to do it for yourself, it makes it a lot easier. Right, We can give you a, simu- a simulation of what things might look like, but we cannot 
we're not computer programmers, right? We can't replicate the computer program that you actually enter things into, right? We've built our GPA calculators in Excel. We've we've had to work within the confines of the resources that we have available to us. So if you can get a better sense of what that actual system that you're going to be working within looks like and how to utilize it, you're just going to set yourself up for more success. Um, I want you to take a look at um, how to request transcripts at your school. A lot of students get very stressed out about requesting transcripts. I have a lot of students that get very anxious about getting transcripts from community colleges or other institutions. Go ahead and get that information down now. You know, you can't request the transcripts just yet, but understand the process that you're going to be working within because you want to make that sort of flow a lot easier. It's very stressful to be running into roadblocks that you had not um, sort of predicted. So go ahead and do that work now. As soon as you can, figure out where where do I need to go? What Where am I requesting this through? Because, you know, at Penn State, you know, we have a certain service that we use. Not every institution uses the same service. So understand the expectations of all the places that you've got to get transcripts from. And last but not least, if you're a Penn State student, start inputting it into one of our GPA calculators. If you're from another institution, see if there's an available resource that you can track down online. It may be imperfect unless it's provided by the actual sort of like national um, organization for the health profession. Uh, But try your best. See what's out there. Do your due diligence and have an understanding of what am I going to look like on the back end of this, right? Because what you enter in isn't necessarily how things are going to get spit out on the other end. One of the things that we learned by talking to admissions officers is that, you know, yes, they're going to have the transcript and you'll have the individual grade entry and the GPAs that get calculated by the services. But what's also going to happen is that your GPA gets turned into a bar chart. And so they're going to see your GPA trend over time. And that's a really helpful way to see what your grade trend looks like because grade trend is such an important and influential part of the application. Um, You know, if you look at the AAMC experiences um, and identity, you know, that model that we have talked about in several other episodes, grade trend is part of what they're looking at. So get a sense of what you look like to the admissions officer on their end of things. So Again, I tossed a lot of information at you. I am going to cut the episode here. Like I said, we're going to do a future episode on how to request transcripts. That is going to be a lot more functional for our Penn State applicants, but it's going to be useful for everybody just to see how a school does it. Uh, It will help you inevitably sort of uh, move through that process at your institutions as well. So I want to thank everybody for joining us this week. And we look forward to talking to you next week about school choice. And thanks for listening to the Penn State Pre-Health Podcast. The Penn State Pre-Health Podcast is a production of the Pre-Health Advising Office in the Eberly College of Science at Penn State University. It is produced, edited, and promoted by the Pre-Health Advising Team. 
The views, opinions, and advice shared during this podcast are that of the hosts and any guests only and do not necessarily reflect the best advice for every student at every institution for every health profession. This is a nonprofit podcast made for the purpose of better serving pre-health students across the university system.